The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of redlegnation.com. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, and today we are very happy to have join us once again former Red and current longtime Reds broadcaster, Chris Welsh. Chris, thanks once again for joining us here and giving us some of your time. Hi, Bill. Thanks very much. Nice to catch up with you again. Well, let's jump right in. Let, let's. I don't want to talk too much about 2013, but let me ask you one question. Was last year a disappointment for this ball club? I don't think it was a disappointment. I think that they have some un, unfinished business. Uh, I think that uh, there are some people on this team that really felt that uh, they didn't like the way they played down the stretch. Unfortunately, one of those guys is the new manager, uh, and I feel the same way. I, I don't. I can't say it's a disappointment when you make the playoffs, but it was a disappointment because they did not play the way they should have down the stretch to ensure that they didn't have to just play in by winning one game. Yeah, I also thought. I mean, they went from winning 97 games to 90, but they had more, a lot more injuries last year, and they didn't have the Astros to beat up on. Well, that's true. The Astros make a big difference because the Reds have had their number the last few years. But, you know, the injuries were a big thing. You lose Ryan Ludwig first game of the year. And and no matter who you put out there, it's not the guy that you intended to be out there. You lose Johnny Cueto. He's been injured every year. Uh, you lose Sean Marshall for part of the year. You lose Jonathan Broxton. So, I mean, there's no doubt. In, in any sport, your frontline players are much better than your reserves. And you got to keep them healthy. Yeah. So the Reds win 90 games, and then they fire their manager. Um, were you surprised? No, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't at all. I, I really thought that uh, the bar of expectation for Dusty Baker last year was you better win and you better go deep into the playoffs. We kept hearing this over and over again. Rumors, I can't tell you where they came from. I really don't know where they came from. I just heard it that, you know, unless this ball club goes deep into the playoffs, uh, the ownership wants to uh, – sell tickets, and one way to sell tickets is be competitive, and if you don't get into the real playoffs, that's not being competitive, at least in the eyes of Cincinnati Reds fans. So that's where they were. I wasn't surprised. Uh, I know that he had some support among ownership, but I think there were some other uh, people involved in the decision that wanted to make a change, Uh, and I think that uh, probably in their minds, Dusty Baker had done about everything he can here in Cincinnati, and it was time to go in a different direction. So, so, so it was a combination of the, the lack of urgency at the end of the year, the way they played at the end of the year, and the playoff performance, you think? Yeah, I, I think those are the main ingredients. I think there were some other little things along the way, probably not even worth talking about, maybe PR-related stuff, uh, that uh, probably didn't help them. But, but at the same time, I think bottom line is what you do, and yeah, you get to the playoffs three out of four years, which is better than what the Reds have done, but... The Reds have had a better team over the last four years than yep. they had in the previous four years. So, you know, getting there is one thing, but right now, the Castellini group, uh, man, they're driven. 
I mean, they want to win. They will do anything it takes within reason to win. And, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to show you, uh, 90 games not enough if you don't get deep in the playoffs. Do, do you think one of the things that either one of the reasons or one of the things that they felt allowed them to do this was because they were concerned about losing Brian Price if they didn't find it, uh, you know, if they didn't elevate him to manager? I don't think so. I don't think that they were ever held hostage in that way. That you know, they thought Brian Price was such uh, a great prospect for for uh, managerial shift that they would fire a guy that they they had faith in. Uh, I think that they thought it was time for a change. But I think that the timing of the fact that Brian Price was available may have made really uh, a great opportunity for the Reds to take advantage of the guy in the organization who knows the players, who knows the coaches, who knows the current office. Uh, they know him. I think all those things together really help make that decision easier. So, so now the Brian Price era begins, and and the first question I guess I'll, I'll ask you is: Should the team have gone out and done a wider search? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that question. No. Do Do you think that the the team should have gone? I, I, some people have said that the Reds limited themselves by by hiring in house and not didn't look at anything else. Do, do you think? That that was possibly a mistake? Uh, no, I, I didn't. I, I, name, me a, name me a list of candidates who are better than Brian Price. Oh, I, I agree 100%. Brian, you know, they may be one. And I know that it's not you saying this. You're just kind of posing this question right. the way a savvy media guy does. I do the same thing also. I'll say, hey, well, some people say that, well, the bottom line is, is that, you know, I think Brian Price, for a lot of reasons, fit this ball club perfectly. And I don't think that they shortchanged themselves. I don't think that they uh, circumvented the, uh, you know, the, the, the process on which they should have gone, which has gone out and, you know, beat some unexpected candidates and had some interviews and all of that thing out. I, I think they, they did what they had with Brian Price. Uh, the guy's articulate, easily the most articulate manager that, that I've had since I've been here. He's my night manager. Uh, He's a good communicator. He's got the respect of the players. He's going to uh, be much uh, more of a fiery manager. At least he's going to give that impression uh, than, than Dusty Baker was. And, and I think the direction of like they're going down a different road with Brian Price, which is something else they wanted to do with the managerial change. What qualities does he have that are going to make this team play better? Well, he has the respect of the players, number one. He's a great communicator, number two. He's not a guy who was ever a big league player. So I asked him, first off, when he had when he got the job and they had the press conference, I wanted to address it right away. I said, hey, is there going to be a problem when they look at you and say, what have you ever done in the big leagues? Because players did that when... Uh, Dave Miley? When Dave Miley was around. Yeah. And I really think it hurt his credibility. Well, Brian has been, you know, pitching coach of the year. He's... Uh, he's been a big league for a long time as a pitching coach. I think the pitchers really admire him and respect him. And I don't think he's going to have a problem at all in the everyday player. Uh, I think that he's going to be a guy that is going to be obvious to everybody around, including the players, that he wants to win. And he'll do, it. he'll do some of the things, he'll take some chances. I think that he's going to tinker with the lineup a little bit more than what Dusty Baker did. He's not going to be afraid to bat uh, bottom and Bruce back-to-back. He's not going to afraid to experiment a little bit at the top of the line if, if uh, Hamilton doesn't work out and so on. So uh, he's got a game plan, and, and I think that uh, 
guys are really going to give him an opportunity to, to show what that is. Well, a lot of the things we've heard about him with the pitching staff over the last couple of years, Chris, was accountability. Um, you and apparently you believe that he'll be able to extend that 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 requirement of accountability to the position players also. I think so. Yeah, and it's not really that the manager does that much. I mean, really, how many games at the end of the year is the manager responsible for? Uh, and I don't know what that number is. They say it's around six. Uh, a really bad manager can blow it for you. A really good manager can make a mediocre team play better than they should. Uh, and we've seen that over the years with different ball clubs. But uh, I, I think that Brian Price is not going to let anybody down. He's not going to uh, disenfranchise anybody. Uh, he's not going to play favorites. Uh, I, I really think that he is the guy that, and that accountability is a great word. He uses it. Other players use it. Uh, sometimes it's overused. But I think with him, that may be the, the method that he's going to show everybody that that's the way it's going to work. Do, do you see anything or any qualities or skills, or I don't know what the right word is, that he needs to develop, that he's going to need to develop or that he'll develop as time goes on? Well, I, I think the skills that may be lacking from Brian would be the experience at the helm, at the top step that they got, when to pull the trigger on a certain play. Not necessarily when to pull a picture or who, what the matchups are and so on. Uh, and by the way, he's not going to be nearly as enamored with matchups as we've seen before. Uh, he, he's going to have to rely a lot on Jay Bell, his bench coach, to guide him along as far as the flow of the game from an offensive and defensive standpoint. I mean, Brian's been watching games, you know, he's been watching games closely in the dugout next to the manager, although i got to tell you, it didn't seem like that uh, during the game anyway, uh, Dusty Baker really confirmed with him very much. Uh, probably not about the strategy of the game, probably more about pitching when they did talk. Well, so Brian's been looking at it from the pitching standpoint primarily, and now he's being thrust into the process of having to, to run the ship. And that means, you know, when do you hit and run, uh, when do you double switch, all those things. And I think that's why Jay Bell is going to be a very important part of this managerial uh, success or failure for Brian Price. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm in the middle of reading Larry Durker's book, which I don't know if you've read that. And and, yeah. and he said that, you know, he said he talked about a lot about that, that being on the top step and that how big a change that was and how shocked he was and, and how many you know things you have to consider at one time and how many innings you have to think ahead and that kind of thing. And I thought it well, was... Well, you a have a guy sitting next to him there who came all 17 years in the major leagues and he's, he's been a coach in the major leagues the last few years. So uh, I think he's, he's pretty capable. And I think what it also does is give you a different view of things. If they brought back Chris Spire, and Spire, by the way, didn't want to come back because he was one of Dusty's guys. But if they brought back Spire, you know, you wonder if it'll be the same old, same old, right. you know? Uh, so now you've got kind of a fresh look. Uh, and I think it's going to be interesting. Do, do you think that there will be a style of play difference that the fans will be able to notice? No. Other, I, other I than Billy Hamm. I, mean, I, other... I think they played hard last year. Hey, the style of play is the type of ball club that you have. It's the personnel that you have on right. your team. And if you've got a fast team, you're going to play a fast game. If you've got a slugging team, uh, you're going to play a slugging game. Uh, I, I don't think that the style of play, hey, the only style of play that people should demand around here is playing hard and playing every game. I agree. The, 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 were you surprised with the makeup of the new staff? Were there any coaches that didn't stay that you thought might or that did stay that you were kind of surprised they stayed? 
Well, I, I thought Mark Barrett might stay, uh, but it was his, his own decision not to stay because uh, he still just didn't feel right after having a year's worth of cancer treatment. He just didn't feel physically like he could withstand the rigors. It had nothing to do with his relationship with Brian Price or anything else. So he was the one guy that I thought that might stay. Um, I didn't think anybody else would. Um, and I thought that they were mostly Dusty's guys. But that said, Bill, i got to tell you, I'm really impressed with the Reds allowing Brian Price to essentially bring in his own staff. I mean, there's pretty bad Benavides is going to help out up here. He's one of an American organizational guy. Uh, but other than that, uh, you know, they kept Mike Stefanski. Uh, they kept Billy Hatcher. But, I mean, sometimes a, a general manager will force three or four coaches on a guy and say, hey, you can only have one coach like um, they did the day by Right. Well, he gave, I mean, Walt and Bob Pasolini gave uh, Brian Price, really, the free reign to hire whoever you want. And for, and for, a, and for a first-time manager, excuse me, and for a first-time manager, that's pretty amazing. Well, it is, and you know what? You wonder if maybe that was part of the negotiation. Yeah, it could have been. Chris, you and I both know that, that one of the fans, and, and to a lesser extent, but even a little bit, the media whipping boys was of the last couple of years has been Brooke Jacoby. Um, the pitching staff took such a huge leap forward under Brian Price and, and, and Mac Jenkins, too, to, to give them both the credit they probably deserve. How much of that was talent? How much of it was the coaching staff? Uh, mostly talent and some coaching. Uh, I mean, Hey, Brooke Jacoby was telling those hitters the same thing Dustin Baker was telling. Uh, he was telling the same thing that Don Mons going to tell him this year. Uh, now, you know, what I've always said is that a good coach will say the same thing a thousand different ways. And well, one time when one guy says it to you, you don't get it. The next time a guy says it a little different way, all of a sudden the light comes off. Yep. But I think that happens at every level. I think it happens in the educational field. Uh, and, and I think that... Uh, you know, and hopefully it's going to happen this year with the Reds. So I thought Brooke Jacoby for an unfair amount of blame. But, you know, well, who else are people going to blame? I mean, Joey Votto's getting paid $20 million. He ought to be hitting 350 and driving in 150 runs. You know, let's blame the hitting coach because obviously, you know, Votto's is, is, is not the blame. So I think that's a common um, cry among fans. I wouldn't let it, let it worry about it. Okay. But, uh, yeah, that's. I forget but, the other part of the question, though. But before we get off of the off of the off of Brian Price and Mac Jenkins and, and the pitching staff is, does it say a lot about them the job that they did in the last two years with Simon and Parr and how these guys just kind of broke through with the Reds when they hadn't been able to break through anywhere else? Yeah, it does in one way, but it also has to do with the amount of experience a guy has in the major leagues. I mean. Here's, here's uh, Homer Bailey, and he's what, finally 27 years old, and he finally put two, two, two years back-to-back in decent years. Uh, so, I mean, had you, you given Homer Bailey to Brian Price when he was 20 years old, can I tell you that he would have been much better pitcher now than before? I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. Um, is Alfredo Simon just – I mean, Alfredo Simon has been a guy with great stuff. Is it maybe just the way that they use him? Uh, that he said because he was floating back between starter and reliever and so on that Baltimore uh, didn't pitch him consistently and so on. Maybe his maturity level just blossomed out. Same can certainly be said for Matt Latos. I mean, they got this guy at the prime of his career. Three years earlier, 
and he's not he's nowhere close to what he was last year. So I think a lot of it is the timing, and that's what is intriguing about this pop up is that you've now got pitchers who are in the starting rotation. They're not in their second year or their third year in major league. They've already had three or four or five years there, and uh, you know except for Saint uh, Robbie. So I think that's the interesting. You're getting a, a seasoned young talented arm staff. Uh, a lot of it has to do with Brian. I mean, Brian Price moves it. Don't get me wrong, but I, I, I'm reluctant to give a pitching coach uh, or a hitting coach so much of the credit for bringing a guy over the top when you've got the kind of talent that, that Bailey and Latos and those guys have. So the off season starts with this big and for many of us a surprising bang, and then. The signing of Skip Schumacher and, and Brian Pena aren't aren't, aren't really going to send fans run into the tick to the ticket office. Well, no, but if you're going to make any other changes, you need to get rid of some people. And uh, if you make get rid of people, what does that do to your to your salary base? And who do you get rid of? And what can you get get for them? And so on. Obviously, they they they, they dangled Brandon Phillips out there. Um, and there wasn't enough in return, so they pulled him back. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm not really sure where – I would like to have seen him improve the bench a little bit more, no question about it. Um, but I'm not sure what more they could have done, especially from a starting standpoint. I mean, you got to give Billy Hamilton a shot, right? Do you think he's ready? He, yeah, I don't think he's going to be any different than him three years from now if put him in AAA for three years and if you bring him up to big leagues right now. He's still going to be tall and skinny. Uh, and he's going to have to rely on his speed, getting the ball on the ground. He's going to have to use the ground game, the punt, and so on. He's never going to turn himself into, you know, Joey Votto to play, uh, no matter how much money time he has. So I think his time is right now. I'm delighted that the Reds are going to, but they've already got him penciled in to be the starting center fielder leading off. You know, that barring a disaster, I think, is for Trent. One of my favorite guys on this ball club in the past years has been Ryan Hannigan. I, I, I love, I think he's a great story. You know, he's an undrafted guy, fought his way up, became a start, an effective starter in the big leagues. The, the trading of Hannigan to Tampa, I mean, they really, in the signing of Pena, they saved maybe a million, million five. Do you think that's a message from Azaraco? Or, I mean, what do you think the philosophy behind those moves were? Well, the, the philosophy behind that move is not necessarily just trading Mesera or trading Ryan Hanley. Uh, I think that they think that this is Mesera's time as well, that he came a long way last year. I can tell you the pitchers went from not liking to throw to Mesera to really liking to throw to Mesera last year. That was a big turnaround for him personally. Secondly, behind Tony Singrati, uh in the upper levels of the minor slash major leagues, uh, you don't have any pitching. You got nobody who can come in if Johnny Quayle goes down. Who do you call up? Uh, I mean, uh, uh, Greg Reynolds uh, signed off in Japan. I mean, are, are you bring up the same old characters that they can't get anybody out of here? Uh, so they had nobody down there uh, uh, to call on. That's why they needed to fill the gap in the minor leagues with a pitcher that could be there this year uh, before. Uh, you know, Stevenson is finally ready, or, or Travioso, or one of these other kids who are coming up. So they were lacking in that department, and that's the reason why they ended up making that trade for David Holmberg. Are you surprised Brandon Phillips is still a red? No. No, I'm not. I mean, I, I think, the, I don't know how that situation got out of hand. 
I really don't. I, it just seemed like all of a sudden Brandon was a bad guy, and I know that he took the owner to task. I know he called him a liar. You never do that. I mean, it, it, it's incredible that you know, as, as all the good things that Brandon Phillips has done in this ball club and uh, for this city and for the Reds fans, that he would make such a major mistake, and, and it was a mistake. But I think the thing got blown out of out of hand in the press, and it wasn't handled very well from either Brandon's side or from the red side. And all of a sudden, it was assumed that this guy was a persona non grata. I never got that feeling. I mean, hey, he's one of the best second basemen in all of baseball right now. And I, I don't know who you were going to get to take his place, but he wasn't going to be as good as Brandon Phillips. So I'm delighted that he's with his club. And he, Billy, hey, I can tell you this right now. From what I see, he's got a cancer in the front house. Not one bit. I, I think that's a sometimes a uh, uh, you get a label out there and people repeat it and all of a sudden it becomes true. Uh, I, I don't I don't see that with Brandon Phillips at all. You, and I admit I'm one of the people that I have a real problem with Brandon Phillips. Um, Why? Part of it is the System Magazine article. Part of it's the Trent Rosecrans thing. Part of it is the. Um, the, the showboating plays to me that don't need to be showboating, the, the tag between the legs last year. Um, the other thing I, I noticed, I, I think Brandon Phillips is a me guy. Um, he's always the last guy on the field before the game, so he can come out by himself. That bothers me. And, and that, you know, it may not be fair, but that's the way I feel. Well, um, I'll tell you. My observation is not the old man. You're old fashioned, dude, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, you know how old I am. I mean, I'm an old school let's guy. Let's go. Just get with the program here, man. This is 2014, right? And I'm older than you, but I can tell you this about Brandon. I think the whole thing of C. Trent Rosecrans could have been headed off at the pass by Dusty Baker. I agree. You saw that video, of Dusty Baker watching that whole thing transpire in his office. Yep. And letting it get out of hand. There's no way that that should have happened. Yeah. And if he yeah. has an issue with a player and, a, and, a, and a, a press person, I think that's where the manager steps in. I mean, the manager's job goes beyond calling a hit and run and, or a bunt or switching out pitchers. It, it has it, – it's, it's clubhouse operations as well. And he's got to be able to know that one of his star players is on the edge like that with this guy. Hey, let's, let's defuse this thing right now. Uh, Brandon is a coachable guy. But he's also uh, pretty much of an individualist, obviously. I mean, that's why the Indians got rid of him, for the reasons that you just said. Uh, because he was uncoachable up there. Uh, because he was too flashy. Because he thought he was, he was too cool. Well, you know, sometimes nowadays you've got to put up with that stuff. And, and uh, as long as he makes the play, I don't care whether he tags him between his legs or not. I didn't like that play. I can tell you I didn't like that play one bit. I thought it was excessive hot dog in this. But, you know... Sometimes, sometimes it happens nowadays. I mean, uh, hey, Grammy Awards are a lot different now than they were ten years ago. So uh, you know, so so are some of the way the guys play baseball. Yeah, and that and, and to be fair to Brandon Phillips, the double play he made on his knees at second base may be the best play I've ever seen last year. I'll tell you what you what you didn't say about Brandon is the reason that you do like him is that the guy plays every day. Every day, hurt or not. He played with a broken finger a couple of years ago. Yeah. Where a lot of other guys would be sitting on the bench, uh, padding their stats. Yeah. Uh, he is a guy that you can't get him out of the lineup no matter what. I mean, I, I really think the guy's a gamer. I really do. I, I know that he made a, a major mistake by calling the owner a liar. I mean, that's, that's stupid on his part. Um, 
And I know it hurt Bob Castellini's feelings. It had to, because he's given Brandon Phillips over $50 million. But at the same time, the guy can play. And not always does God give everybody the complete package, where you're an unbelievable athlete and an unbelievable judge and an unbelievable diplomat. And uh, I think that Brandon um, doesn't understand um, what really the consequences of something like that, because he didn't realize how it was going to get out of hand. A couple more things, Chris, uh, on Phillips, and then we're going to get off him. Um, I want you to, I want you to, and I know what you're going to say. I said there, there's been a lot of talk if Brandon Phillips would rather go two and two and four and the Reds lose than go zero for two and the Reds win. Do you believe that, Chris? <laughs> you got to repeat that one for me. I, 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 okay. I usually have to write numbers down like that. Okay. No. I mean, I, there have been people that have said that Brandon Phillips would rather go two for four at the plate and the Reds lose than go zero for two at the plate and the Reds win. I don't, I don't believe that. And I don't see it. Okay. There's no way. I, I, I don't think there's anybody there that wants to win more than Brandon. Phillips. Okay. In fact, I would put it, I would put some other players above him on that list. Really? Okay. Right okay. Now. Brandon just missed this. Just didn't take first time in my memory that he hasn't been a part of the Reds caravan. He was rumored shopped in the winter, and so you you do not believe that that any of this is going to be a problem in the clubhouse. No. Okay. Not. Good. Moving on. Hey, you know what? If the players can't, listen, I mean, of all the things that are going on in baseball right now, this little thing with Brad Phillips is, is, is a little speck. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I think that if the players can't get over it, what players can't get over? You know, that, that, that's right. that's the thing. I think the players have to govern themselves. Now, it is up to Brandon to make sure that he blends in with the rest of the team and no realizes that this is the team. But I can tell you, the guy wants to win, and he wants to win as badly as anybody wants to. Okay. Do you think the Reds right now are regretting the big contracts they gave Novato and Phillips and Bruce and Cueto? I think they regret it as soon after they sign them. I mean, not just those guys, but every owner. I mean, I, I don't think any owner wants to do that, but they have to. And you you keep your fingers crossed that player stays healthy. You keep your fingers crossed that he stays productive uh, and, and all those kind of things. And, and you know, I'm not sure uh, exactly whether they regret this or not. I don't think they do because you have a long way to go on all those contracts. But I think if the owners had their their uh, brothers, they'd be signing these guys for one or two year deals max. Case for everybody. Have those contracts made this team more or less competitive? Well, um, I mean, they, they, one of the one well, of the, what year? I mean, at what right. point? I mean, see now you're starting to you're going to lose lose a player. It's a free agency, and then you don't really know what you have behind them or who you may trade for. So that's really hard to say. I, I, I can't even answer that question because you know, I'm not really sure what to say about it. But, but there are teams that, that let those guys walk and have stayed competitive. Oakland, Tampa? Yeah, they have. They, they, they've been competitive on and off. They haven't been competitive every year. And I think the Reds are at the point in their, uh, their life with this ownership that they, they realize that they need to win. I mean, people will pay to see a winner. They're not going to pay to see just a competitive team. Right. And sometimes you've got to ante up, and they got a guy like Joey Mahler. He's the guy that you're probably talking about. Signed a big contract, the longest contract. And, I mean, if you were going to pick one player off that roster over the last 
10 years, who you would give that type of a lengthy contract to, it would have to be Joey Bottoms because his work ethic is outstanding. Uh, he's got terrific talent. Um, and the, the guy, is, he really likes to grind. I mean, he's there as, as early as anybody, and he's really working at his trade. He's the kind of guy that if you're an owner, you look at him and say, you know what, he's giving me an effort for my money. Um, so um, I, I think that as much as owners don't want to give out long-term contracts, if you do, you've got to pick the right guy. And Bono, of all the Reds players, is probably that right guy. It's funny, Chris. I was just glancing at my notes, and, and of all the things I wanted to talk to you about, Joey Votto wasn't even on my list. That's how how much how confident I am in Joey Votto. But, let, but well, I really think that Joey Votto is going to have a terrific year this year. Uh, I think that you know he's had um, some issues, emotional, mental issues, uh, but I think he made he made strides last year in, in just being comfortable around people and around certain situations. I think that the foundation that he started. You know, the families of the servicemen coming back who have um, had that uh, traumatic combat syndrome. Uh, I think it was a terrific move on his part. He's, he, and he came out and he became, he's very honest about the issues that he has. And Absolutely. That's really hard to do yeah. for a guy that is supposedly, you know, when you're a ball player, you feel like you're wearing a Superman outfit, that you're just bulletproof. And, you know, He's a real human being, and I really think that now that he's kind of come to terms with all that, he realizes that people are really behind him, and they, and they love him, and they really want him to, to, to prosper. I think he's going to have he's going to relax and have a great year this year. Do you think the 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 I don't want to I don't I hate the word controversy, but the discussion that went on after the season about Joey and swinging at balls out of the strike zone and walking too much and driving in rot. Do you think that was fair? I don't think you care less about those discussions, to be honest with you, because, you know, Joey, everybody is his own player. And I think this, Joey is such a perfectionist, and he realizes that, that as soon as you start instructing and chase pitches out of the strike zone, he's going to have an internal conflict in his mind, because that's not how he's taught himself how to play the game. He's, a, he's in, a, in, a, in a, uh, um, the conundrum right now of, of the tough thing about trying to be productive and be efficient at the same time. And that's the, the, the two battling forces in Joey. And last year, he seemed to be more efficient than he did productive, and people didn't like it. Well, you know, uh, how about getting somebody else on chase fishes and drive rounds in? Because Bottle's going to be on base 45% of the time. Well, in addition, do you, do you, you know, they talked about that Joey's knee was still bothering him last year, and that may have sapped some of the power, you know, the, the, the maybe not the home runs as much as the doubles and the gap and that kind of thing. I, I don't know. I really don't know about that. I, uh, yeah. You know, you ask him how his knee was halfway through the year, and he tells you, fine, and you got to go with that. Now, I know that uh, <laughs> all players will tell you the same thing. They're not going to tell you when they're hurting when they're not. Right. Uh, but when you play, you probably play when it was hurt, but. Um, um, I, you know, I, I'm just looking for Joey Votto to, to do what he does best, which is get good pitches to hit, wear pitchers down, uh, come up big in clutch situations, and if he's going to be pitched around, hey, you know, they pitched around Albert Pujols too until there was somebody behind him in, in the order. Uh, it wasn't like Albert Pujols was chasing pitches six inches off the plate and driving 450 feet. You know, he may have had a little bit bigger strikes than Joey. But at the same time, uh, Bob is a very good player, and I wouldn't want to take him with. I agree. Um, 
for for a couple of years at least, Chris, there have been rumors and you know, and maybe just fan stuff that that Homer Bailey wanted out of Cincinnati. Have you ever gotten that impression? I know recently he denied it. Have you ever gotten any inkling of that? I don't really think so. I, I think that sometimes guys um, have uh, it, it, nobody likes to see or read uh, negative things they have said or written about. And I think along the way, Homer was rushed to the major league so quickly, mm-hmm. unready to be there, uh, because the Reds had nothing else. When, when Jim Bogle was the general manager, and every time they gave Homer Bailey a start, they made it a circus. I mean, they announced it on WLW at any time. They could build him in depth with the guy would see that he was driving in from Louisville. I mean, my goodness, it was a joke. Uh, you know, what they should have done with the kid is they brought him up and you put him in a bullpen for a while and let him get his feet wet and they take some pressure off of him. But there was nothing but pressure on Homer Bailey. I think it set him back. I think it set him back a long, a long way. Um, so, um, you know, Homer is a guy that, that um, you know, like a lot of major league athletes, a lot of professional athletes, I mean, they really don't like answering questions about that kind of stuff. They'd rather talk about their trade, and sometimes he just turns them off and says, you know what, I'm done with this conversation, don't want to talk to them anymore. And he gives you the impression they don't like it here. And no, I don't think that, hey, if this team wins, he'll be here. he likes it here. If they lose, <laughs> You don't like it here, and I think that goes for a whole bunch of players. With, with the with the Kershaw contract and the Tanaka contract, I know what the Reds are saying, but do you think they got a realistic chance of, of extending Homer Bailey? Well, if Homer Bailey goes to the agent and says, "Yeah, I want to be in Cincinnati," then then they've got a realistic chance. If it's up to Casey Mize, then they don't have a realistic chance. If it's up to Casey Close, uh, who's going to you know talk to Homer Bailey and say, "Hey, Homer, you see what you see what Kershaw got." Now, I may not be able to get you what he got, but I can, we can make a run. Uh, you know, you don't get the agents pounding on the players to try to get the most money possible, partly for the player, partly for the agent, and partly for the free agent that's coming behind that player. Right. And I think that's where it was a lot of pressure. Okay, Chris, you're, you're the Reds' GM. Who, who's the biggest trade chip on this team right now? Obviously, you're thick and pitching. So, I mean, obviously it can't be Brandon Phillips because there's nobody off the game for him this year. Uh, you know, the biggest one is probably uh, you know, a guy like Homer Bailey, Matt Lakos, uh, uh, Aurora Chapman, That's, and Billy Anderson. Chapman is the one I was thinking. Um, have, have the Reds, I don't know how to put it, have they shortchanged themselves on this guy with his career? You mean by using with a bullpen? Yep. Well, no. I mean, at what point? I mean, unless they were set to make him a starter from the very beginning and not waver off of that. And here you got a weapon down there that, and you need bullpen help, and you got a guy that can go 100 miles an hour and be the most dominant pitcher in the major leagues from the innings that he's in. How do you, how do you, how do you, Resist that temptation when your team needs it right now, uh, and I think that was the, the situation that they were in. And I think that they, they did the best decision that they could make. I really also think that the guy's mindset is more conducive to being a reliever than being a starter. I really do. I think that Lowe's Chapman loves to have that gate open up 
the music blaring, and him walking out there feeling like he is completely unhittable, that he is as big as that school board presents him to be. Uh, and I think that when you get in that kind of a mindset as a closer, uh, it's different as a, as, as a starting pitcher. If you watch a roll of Chapman, when he starts getting hit a little bit, it comes in streaks. Mm-hmm. So the hardest thing as a starting pitcher is going out there and having your lunch handed to you and going back out there five days from then and, and, and uh, trying to correct things. Because as a starter, no matter how big you are, you're going to get there. And I think that they, they've used him about as well as they possibly can. It's too late now because he's too close to free agency to try to put him in as a starter. You have to limit his innings. You have to teach him a third pitch, consistency, uh, so on and so forth. And I think that uh, you would train him to be a good starter for somebody else, and that wouldn't be very good business. So really, it was if you want to think of it this way, it was kind of the Ryan Madsen injury is, is what put him in the bullpen. Yeah, uh, you know what, and now you say that, it, it kind of seems like that, doesn't it? And, and uh, good observation. Don't make any more of it, you'd be in line for my job. <laughs> um, do you think that we're looking at the counting Billy Hamilton center field, are we looking at the, the opening day lineup? You know, is it going to, or do you, or do you think they might make a, some kind of move in spring training? I don't think they're going to make a move for a starter. I would be very surprised. Okay. Um, yeah. I really would. And I don't think they're going to be making any kind of major moves for their, uh, you know, for their bench either. I mean, the bullpen is set. I mean, they may even have too many bullpen issues. Yeah, they might. Uh, uh, so, you know, they may, but at the same time, you have enough down in my leagues to, you know, to be able to lose a guy, you know, could you trade, a uh, picture up there. Remember, Roxon may not be available from the beginning of a year, and, and uh, you know you want to make sure Marshall's okay. You got to make sure Plato's okay. So you're not about to start trading pitching right now. But um, you know they could use another another bench player. You know one of the better hitters off the bench is Brian Pena, and and Pena is, is a second catcher. So how how um, you know. How do, you, how do you balance the fact that you, you want to go to that guy to use him, but you don't want to end up being an emergency catcher situation? Either. Yeah, and and they're, and they're, and you can't and there isn't anybody I don't think that carries three catchers anymore. Right, right. Um, going into the season, you know, right now this team looks like a, I call it a team of ifs. You know, if Hamilton is ready, and if Ludwig hits, and if Mazzarocco continues to improve, and if the starting staff stays healthy, then this team can compete. Do you agree with that? Well, I, I think that goes for just about every team out there. I mean, to show me a team that they, they're not saying it's about. I think the biggest thing is, Bill, not necessarily those production things, but I think it's if this team stays healthy. Because their frontline players are good enough to win. Uh, but <clears throat> their backup players are not. What player on the, on the starting line at Chris, do you think has to make the biggest jump from 13 for this team to be in the hunt? Well, I think I don't think it's one guy. I think it's, uh, and I don't want to isolate one guy. I really don't. I think it's uh, the left side of the field is the most crucial part for the Mets. You know, you have to have production like you expect out of the left field. You know, I I've got to see a little bit more out of Frazier this year offensively. 
what I did last year. He turned out to be, he played more well caliber third baseman in my book. The guy can flat out pick it. I was so impressed last year, I couldn't believe it. But he's really a good defensive third baseman, so you've got to give him a little bit of a mulligan on some of the bad streaks that he had. And I think that Zach Kozart's got to continue to progress as an offensive player. Um, and that's, those are, his right side of the field is set. Left side of the field, he's got to hold up there in the bargain. It's funny you talk about Frazier because I was going to bring this up in a couple down the way a little bit, but I'll bring it up now. And I've heard the same thing from him. offensively. He needs to give you more, but his numbers were very similar, if not better, than Brandon Phillips's last year. So does Phillips need to step it up too, or, or do we just expect more out of a third baseman than we do out of second baseman? Well, I I, I think that uh, I you know I I'm stunned to hear that. I'm not sure what numbers exactly. I mean, you're talking about the batting average or well, not or his batting or, average wasn't, but his but his on base percentage was higher. His slugging percentage was higher. His WAR was higher. Um, he hit one more home run in sixty six less at bats. He had five more doubles in sixty sixty six less at bats. And, and yet nobody calls out Brandon Phillips for bat, you know, for and saying he needs to bring it up. And so I'm just kind well, of surprised. Yeah, I, I think part of that is, that, and I'm usually reluctant to do this if the guy's playing, but I really do think that Brandon was injured. Uh, the second half of the year. That, that, uh, After he got hit by the pitch? Injury. Yeah, I, I really think that that's setting back. Wrist injuries and forearm injuries, hand injuries, hitters, you just don't know uh, how the guy feels. And it didn't look like the same guy. He wasn't driving the ball, even in batting practice, the way he did you know, that you're used to. Uh, I just like to see Frazier have a little better idea at the plate. I, uh, okay. Because uh, it just seemed like uh, he became an easy out, uh, but I think that, that maybe, you know, a little different philosophy up there may help him a little bit. Um, you know, I know that they worked with him. They tried to, to you know, modify his swing to make it a little bit more conventional. Uh, I'll tell you what, the guy works hard, and he's as strong as an ox. I mean, you shake hands with him, it's like shaking hands with a cinder block. Well, but, and when you can hit a ball as far as he can with one hand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got the talent, there's no question. And so that's why I think that, you know, you hang with him a little bit uh, and, and see. But I think that he's a guy that you need to step it up. Now, Brandon Phillips plays much better defense than Brandon than Todd Frazier, even though Frazier plays really good third base. Um, but Brandon Phillips does defensively for you. You know, you can have 10 points here batting average and another 15 guys driven in because he's that good as far as Robbie hits. Okay. Uh, are there any of the minor league guys that you think, other than Billy Hamilton, that you think could make an impact this year? No. Okay. I, I, I mean, I don't. Uh, I mean, uh, no, I, I didn't see anybody last year, but I thought could make an impact. Uh, there, I mean, there are some kids who have been around a few years. I mean, they're an eight ball. Jesse is a winker. I hear he's a pretty good little player. Yeah, he, I mean, he only played in Dayton last year, so he's at least right. you know, two and, or three years and, away. And, and the same way for Seth Mejia's Green. I mean, I hear he's a, he's a nice player. Uh, but, uh, no, there's nobody other than Billy Hamilton uh, that is an impact player coming out. And that's, a, you know, it's funny because, you know, no matter how you try and how you develop and how you scout and so on, your minor leagues go cyclical. I mean, you get yeah. hot for a few years and you get cold for a few years. And I don't know how that works. Every team goes through it. Right now, uh, the Cardinals are flush with prospects. Yeah. Um, so are the Pirates. One thing, 
Yeah, one thing I see different though, I was just reading today through the, uh, the Cardinal Southern notes and so on, and they're inviting a whole bunch of guys to camp. They, they've got 18 non roster players, and uh, a lot of them are players that are really young, like who they drafted last year. Uh, and the, the Reds don't quite do that, and, and I think the Cardinals are drafting more kids who are out of college and maybe closer to major league level, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe that's one reason why they're able to do that. But they're they're at the high point right now, and the Reds are just a little bit uh, on the low side, I think. The the only other kid that, that I would ask you about is Stevenson. I saw him in spring training. Saw him pitch twice down there. A guy uh, balking down in his hand like a bottle rocket. I mean, it's really amazing. I mean, this kid has got a real chance to be a heck of a pitcher. Now, the question is, is he going to be a starter or a leader in the long run? He's his transport. He's at 100 miles an hour and then straight. Uh, I mean, of course, maybe when you throw any 100 mile an hour fastball straight, they have time to move. But um, I think that uh, they said that he came a long way last year, but he still needs a little bit more seasoning from the standpoint of mound presence. So, so he'll, he's probably he's probably ticketed for double A. Probably you think at the beginning of the year. I would think so. And you remember he's a high school kid. Yeah. Uh, so they've got some time on him, and there's no no urgency to rush him up. But he would be one of those guys. That back in the old days, you bring him up, you put him in the bullpen with the idea that down the road you move him as a starter. They just don't seem to do that anymore. Yeah, that was the old Earl Weaver theory, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't only him. I mean, he may have been the guy credited with it, but yeah. there were a lot. Of a lot of people that uh, uh, like doing that, right? Chris, if you were in the front office, how would you sell this team to the fans? Well, I mean, they're, they're the playoff team through the last four years. Uh, I, I'd, I'd sell, you know, Brandon Woodruff and Brandon Pressure is there on Brian Price to win in 2014? Not a bit. Wow. That is not the answer I expected. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't think he's got pressure. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I think that there's expectation, but I don't think that he's thinking, well, I'm going to get fired after one year if this team doesn't win. If they don't win, it's because they've had things come up, like injuries, um, and to, to keep people that you can't that you can't replace. This team is going to win. If they can keep their starting players on the field and performing at what our expectations are, this team will win. Uh, my get, you know, and, and and we talked about it a little bit earlier, but you know, I think most of the people blame last year's fall off on on the offense. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think the offense, but remember that, you know, you, you, you lose Quato, you don't have Trump Marshall, you lose Broxton. I just think there was, you know, the, the team got nicked, uh, nicked here, and they got nicked there, and they, and they, they ran out of juice, and, and uh, they, they didn't get a lot of energy feel from, um, you know, from uh, 
the manager, and I think that, uh, you know, it, I can't, they, they played hard, but they, they just didn't, when they reached down for something extra, it wasn't there. And maybe they, the team was just tired. Yeah, but but and I, and what I was getting ready to say is, my guess is most people would not would not guess that that team last year scored twenty nine more runs than the team the year before. Well, I see. I, I think that that's a stat. I know, and I like that Pythagorean theorem stat because it really does predict the end of the year how good you are. But yeah. I, mean, I mean, there were a lot. I would rather take. Unfortunately, when you take the median yeah. number of runs, it's so small. You start dealing in, in decimal points. Yeah. And people people don't understand that. But, I mean, they ran that. I, I mean, they, they scored a few games with a lot of runs. They didn't need to score them all. Yeah. Um, those, games where you wish you, those games where you wish you could hold a couple for tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. or something like that. And, and I think that, um, you know, it, it's the same way that I would like to evaluate pitching well, it sounds kind of goofy, but I really think, and I haven't done this study, maybe I can ask you to do it since you're a numbers guy, is that one way to evaluate a starting pitcher if he's got if he's got 30 starts is to throw away the best five and throw away the worst five, and what do you do on the other 20 starts? Because if you get 30 starts, you're going to have five games in which your lights out no matter what. You're just going to throw your blood out there and be dead. Is it just working for you that night? You're also going to have five games that you stink. But what do you do? What is your average game, other than your superlative and your bad games? And and I think that that's that's what you're looking for in almost all players. You know, what is your average production, not including the game that you hit four home runs, and not including yeah. the game where you struck out four times? Right. What do you normally do? And and uh, I think that for this team is it, pretty hot. I really do. Okay, wrapping up, Chris. If you had to make a prediction, knowing what you know today, is this team in the hunt in the last week of the season? Oh yeah, they're in the hunt, uh, and whether it's in the hunt for the uh, you know the division or whether it's in the hunt for uh, the wild card, I don't know. A lot of that depends on, on how good the uh, the Cardinals turn out to be. Uh, I'm I'm uh, looking at the Cardinals and I'm thinking they're really good. Yeah, and on paper, and they played together last year, and they seem to be able to get it done when they need to get it done, and they've got a very strong farm system, and they've got the ability to pay a little bit more money than the race do. So they could make a trade if they need to. Uh, so the Cardinals, obviously, are the team that you've got to go through St. Louis to take the division. But I think the Reds are good enough to stay right with them. I think it's very important for the Reds to get off to a good start and play the Cardinals you know, six times in the first ten days. And for that reason, it's entirely it's really important to uh, to kind of fire the first shot, you know, so to say. Uh, I'm stealing that line from Brian Price, but uh, I thought it was a good way to look at it. So yeah, they're going to have to come, and, and it, it's so important to come out of spring training healthy. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. I mean, you know, you know, I love old sayings, and one of them that you know is you can't, you know, you can't win in April, but you can lose in April. Yeah. Do you expect the Pirates to, to, to repeat, I mean, to be as good as they were last year? No, probably not as good. I think they're going to lose a lot of leadership for Sean Burnett. Doesn't come back. Or A.J. Burnett. Yeah. Um, doesn't come back and, and fish for him. Um, you know, when you, when you, if you replace Burnett with Edmonton Volquez, you, know, you can't say that's an even deal. 
uh, especially when it comes to pitching against, you know, the least teams in the division. Uh, because he seems to not be as, as seasoned a quality guy for that loss. But, you know, once you give a team like the, the Pittsburgh Pirates, who've been down for so many years, the taste of the ability, to, the, the taste of winning, and what it's like, and it gives them a confidence, all of a sudden they think that they can hang with you, and that's what's going to make them tough this year. Are you as impressed with Clint Hurdle as a manager as I am? Yeah, yeah, and I never was. I, I never was early on. I thought he was full of himself. But the guy uh, who's explaining some of the little things he does on trips, and, it, it, and it's not about running the game at all. It's about keeping his team mentally going in the right direction. And uh, I, I thought that he had a lot of fun as a, as a manager, um, and he's, he, he, he has a respect for his players, and... Uh, I'm really happy that Hurdle's doing what he's done over there. I, I really am. I think the guy's he's a good guy, and uh, I've been impressed. Do you think Milwaukee is is a team that needs to be a little, you know, needs to be watched? You darn right they do. I mean, I don't know what they, you know, they got Matt Garza for a few million dollars less than what they come to pay to Edwin Jackson. Yeah. Uh, and they. So now, you know, they've got three top-level pitchers here. I mean, it's a lot different than having Kyle Lowe or ace of the staff, I mean, aside from the body Gallardo. But, you know, Peralta, here's this guy. He, can go out. he may end up being like over Bailey. I mean, he may throw two no there's this guy. I mean, he's really good. Um, I forget who the first starter is, but uh, um, I think it's the right-hander right that doesn't have a lot of movement on the ball. But anyway, um, he, uh, yeah, that's a team. I think they're going to forget all about the problems of Brian Braun, um, and he's going to have a good year. Uh, I, I think that's a really good ball club. I mean, Segura, uh, uh, Chris Davis, they think they hurt the Reds a little bit with the hit in the fastball. Uh, that's a good ball club. It really is a good club. You think the Cubs are moving in the right direction? Yeah, they are. It's going to take them a while. They know that. They've said that. And <clears throat> they, they still have some issues over there. Starting pitching being one of them. But, uh, and that's going to be a big one for them. But, uh, you know, I, I think, hey, those are the games you got to win. Yeah. When you're as favorite as much as you are in a game versus the Cubs, you better be able to take care of them. Okay. Well, Chris, as always, I really appreciate the time you give us and enjoy. I love talking baseball with you. Um, thank you very much, and I hope we can get together <laughs> during the season, during a long Reds winning streak. You're welcome, Bill. You're welcome. I don't anything to upset you or upset uh, uh, any of the Reds, but uh, hey, I'm, I'm trying to call it straight, and I really do appreciate the work that you do and uh, get in touch with me and keep, keep in touch all, all year long. Okay? okay, brother. Thank you very much. All right. Take yeah. care. Bye.